Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. And we're introducing some new segments called the Real Estate Syndication Show Highlights, where we are bringing you a look back at episodes focused on a specific topic that we believe added a lot of value to you in your syndication journey. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also hit the notification bell so you can continue to know when new shows come out. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Jesse Fergali. Thanks for being on the show, Jesse. Anytime. You mentioned that you're looking for apartments in the U.S. now. Is that right? Yeah. So we love the Canadian markets that we've been able to participate in. It's just at the end of the day, it is just very tough to do deals, especially if you're going to want to move into syndication. Like we said before, want a pref return, even if that means accruing a pref to you know to when you sell it. And in Canada, even our markets that are pretty you know a little bit looser than Toronto, uh, Vancouver. Anyways, we looked at. We kind of identified a few places in the States that we'd at least like to take a look at. I think Memphis, Charleston, Savannah. We would make a trip out of it. So we'd probably just fly down and grab a car and you know, check out some of the local markets. One of, you know, like we talked about, one of the benefits of being an agent is we can just call any of the brokers in our local markets down there and say, Hey, you got a Tuesday? Do you want to not make any money for a Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. Well, at least buy you lunch, right? Yeah, uh, 100% we'll buy you lunch. So how does that change? Can you complete a syndication in the States, even though you're not a US resident? Or you know, would you have an LLC in the States? You know, or do you know how that would be yeah. structured so at all? Basically, what we did is we talked to... There's a lot of companies in the States as well that deal with cross-border investing. And the long story without getting too into the weeds on it is it 100% can be done. I don't believe it's a Canadian that creates an LLC. And there's, you know, the tax, I think there's a way to get around the withholding tax when you're investing in real estate. But like you said, I think for us, the, the most logical way to do it would be to step up to that and buy, say, a 20 unit, 30 unit in an American market, own that and have my partner, I manage it with third party management. And then kind of layer on the complexity. Because I like we were talking about before, once you're dealing with individual returns, limited partners, it definitely starts changing the structure. And I had a few friends that their GP was Canadian in the States. And it was something that they said they'd do again, but they'd really want to make sure that they did it properly. Because I think it's easier, as it seems obvious, if you have a GP that's a local GP, I'm sure that you've dealt with partners of you dealt with Canadian investors as LPs which is a little easier than having the Canadian as a GP. Yeah, sounds like it would just be easier for you to just move below the border. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I got a number of family members in New York. So yeah, maybe that'll just be easier that way. Or I should just tell them to... Maybe I'll capitalize them and tell them to buy a place. There you go. I just wonder, do you have US buyers that ever contact you looking for property in Canada? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. On the brokerage side... Yes. Well, first of all, on the on the leasing side, because we do a lot of leasing because we're downtown Toronto. So the bank towers, office towers, a number of clients are American. And then investors, a lot of money is coming from Korea right now. One of our biggest developments in Toronto is, is Korean money, Chinese, Hong Kong. I'm sure people know kind of the background and seen a lot of Asian money that has been coming in, but that's been slowing down, I think, a bit recently. 
But it's interesting from a leasing perspective, and this goes for you know anybody that has syndicated office, retail, industrial. It's just a very different culture of negotiating. Like you guys are much more litigious, I think, and you guys, not you guys, I don't want to say just you, but the Americans we deal with oftentimes non-binding LOIs, a million things on behalf of the tenant side that we just say no to because our we our office vacancy in Toronto is 1.8%. So Americans come up here and they try to do office deals. How did we miss that deal? It's like, no, the landlord's being too crazy on this term. And then put this in, we'll get this, say, this tenant allowance. And then we're like, we're, we're not going to win on that. And then the landlord just says, yeah, no, I'm not doing this deal. So it's a bit of a culture shock for them. And that's just a virtue of the fact that our markets are so tight right now. So I think we're seeing it all across the spectrum, resi to retail, leasing to acquisition. Yeah. Well, Jesse, we're going to pivot just a little bit, but you know, tell me what's been the hardest part of this of this journey, you know, to going into the syndication process or at least apartments, you know, from where you started. What's been the hardest part of that for you? It's interesting. The I've never viewed any of the challenges that I've had as being something that has been a negative because over time it's just another thing in your tool belt. Obviously, you don't say that at the time because you lose a deal, it hurts. You have an expense that you didn't expect, but. It's this stage in my career, both as an agent and as an investor, that's a challenging time because we have had such a... The States and Canada, we have set, had such a good run since the recession. It was a bit of an anemic kind of upward trend. But we're in a place right now where for the last five years, everybody's been saying we're in the ninth inning and trying to find deals where the question you get every time from investors that say see me on bigger pockets or something should i get into the market now should i wait should i get in and it's tough to answer that question when we're in such a late cycle we perceive as a late cycle and toronto is a perfect example of that la would be another perfect example if you're in my shoes in toronto you have $200,000 of equity with a partner you're very cautious of putting it in a 3.5% cap rate property. You start asking yourself, well, how much lower can it get? And what kind of growth are you going to have with that type of property? So anyways, long-winded way of saying is the time right now to just... I think we really need to be a lot more disciplined. 10 years ago, and I'm sure you've seen this in markets that you've dealt, dealt in, you look back in time and be like, you can go on, online and you could go on MLS and you know just find property. Whereas Throw that, a dart. Yeah. 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 Or at least you throw a dart and excuse my French, it's not a great property, but it'll have a cash flow positive return. Whereas now we really have to be dialed in to make sure that the fundamentals work. What's a way that you've recently improved your business, Jesse, that we could apply to ours? Okay. So a huge one for me was such a boots on the ground answer, but we had in our building, there was a company that does a full retrofit of all your plumbing. So we had in our, our apartment was for whatever reason, it was just, it was like a sip. We were spending, I think, something like $800 a month, $850 a month on water. And it, for 11 unit apartment building, it was just way too high. It was eight or, eight or 900. I can't remember what the cubic uh, feet was in terms of usage. But like I said before, the one benefit of being a broker, we had access to investors that have dealt with other people on their team. So one of the investors told my partner, said, listen, we use a plumbing guy. And he's like, oh, we don't need a plumber. No, no, no. He's a, he's a guy that he'll do an audit of your building and figure out... Basically, you pay him, they do an audit of your building, and then they tell you based on their calculations and what they've seen in, in similar markets for similar buildings, what type of 
payback they would get on doing the full installation of all these retrofits. So we now came to the first month of after this retrofit, this probably two weeks from now, I'll get the bill. But you just saw, I was just looking at our meter reads and it was just like, it was just dropped off a cliff. So I'm excited to see what, what that ends up being. But as you can imagine, you know, you're getting that kind of help on a 10 unit, 50 unit, 100 unit. It's a, definitely a win because I think people don't realize we're talking about raising rents. The first thing people think about, they don't think of lowering expenses where right. the value captures is the same. Michael and Susie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Whitney. It's a pleasure being on the show. Tell me a little bit about, because I get this question often, you know, getting started, you know, being overseas for one, I mean, that's a whole nother set of limitations there, hurdles that you all have had to cross, but working full-time, getting to the first deal, tell me a little bit about how you all structured your time, you know, some key things that you had to put in place to manage your time and maybe time block or structure, the important things that you had to accomplish getting to that deal. Yeah, that's a great question. And so one of the biggest things actually is the time difference, right? So like, we are ahead of even like California and such by eight hours. So by the time it was 5 p.m. here, it was 9 a.m. there. So we still had like five or six o'clock on, you know, to 10 or 11 to still talk to people and go to those networking events and get so much done. So that was the biggest, I think, like grace that allowed us to move forward. And I mean, we're very much morning people. So like we would take advantage of the mornings to get work done and then take advantage of after work just to catch everybody to also get work done. But something that we also implement very well is time blocking. We just found that like when we find times to talk to people or go to networking events or write blog articles and such that that has really helped as well. Is there a tip around time blocking you can add? It's a skill that you develop, right? And it's a habit you have to almost create. And it's difficult at first to be that structured with your time, but it's so important. Any tips around making that happen? I think the biggest thing is you just have to be disciplined with your time. Like your time is the most valuable resource and people tend to waste that more than anything. And so you just have to realize that it is your most valuable asset that you have to give. And you have to be very disciplined and very diligent at like time blocking things, right? And then also prioritizing certain things over every other things. I think another just tip, I guess there's two, is that to actually give yourself the correct amount of time that is needed. So although you might put like, oh, I only need a half hour to write this blog article, like there, you actually might need an hour. So put in that hour so that your time is allocated for. Yes. So you get it done in like 45, 50 minutes. Like that's just awesome that you have an extra 10 minutes to maybe like put something else in right away. And then another thing is figuring out like when your green zone is. And what I mean by that is like when you are at like the peak of your creativity. So if that's in the morning, then I would try to time block some of your most prioritized times at the morning, you know, if that's in the afternoon, do it there. But that's just when the most creativity will flow. That's a great tip right there. And I love the the green zone. I love that term for it because I found that also. I love morning time being up early. I've always thought also being in Eastern time is a plus because I'm ahead of the West Coast, you know, uh, but you all are much further ahead. But let's dive into getting to that first deal. You knew you had to have boots on the ground. You reached out on social media. So you're putting yourself out there, right? You're, you're going to these events. You find an old schoolmate. I think you said that reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm looking to get into real estate as well. And then the markets worked out. Tell me some other things that had to happen to get to that deal. I think the biggest thing that had to happen was just finding a mentor for us. Like it was, it was my, you know, our first acquisition, multifamily acquisition. Like 
we wanted to make sure that it was right. And especially since we're raising so much money from our investors, we want to make sure that all the numbers are correct and things like that, especially for the market. The biggest thing that, you know, the driver behind our success was probably finding a mentor that was in the specific market and the specific sub-markets that we were looking in. And he had assets in that area, right? I mean, it was just an organic mentor that we found just through networking and things like that. Like Susan was mentioning, we networked a bunch because everything went virtual. And we ran across this gentleman and I just kept in touch with him, kind of developed a relationship and then asked him, hey, would you mind looking over my underwriting? Can we meet like once a week and chat? Uh, look at my underwriting, you know, look at the assets I'm looking at. You've seen them all because you're also looking in the same area, right? So let me know what you think. He was looking for a little bit bigger deals, you know, 150 plus. We're in the range of about, you know, 75 to 125. And so, you know, we weren't in direct competition. So he was more than happy to help out however he could. And then, you know, in return, he would come on the, the general partnership team. And that's kind of how he would make his money back, if you will. Wow. Okay. So tell me, what were a couple of things about him that said, okay, this guy could be a mentor for us. I know you said he's in the same markets, he's doing larger deals, those things, but anything else that said, you know what, this is a good fit. And then also, was there any kind of commitment from your side, financially or time or work or anything like that? You know, the other thing, after just chatting with him back and forth via emails and chatting on Zoom and stuff like that, like I knew he was somebody that I aspired to be just like, I knew like he's several years ahead of me. I want to be exactly where he's at. So I think, you know, aligning yourself with somebody, if you don't see your yourself in your mentor's shoes in the next X number of years, then that's not the right mentor for you, right? So I think that's key as well. And then making sure that, you know, not only do you aspire to be like them, how they're how successful they are in real estate, but also how they carry themselves and how also they protrude themselves to everybody else, right? Like you want to make sure that those other values fall in line as well. So I think that's huge. That's such good advice right there. And thinking about who that mentor is. I don't think most people see it that way, you know, and think about, you know, I want to be where this person is. And even to the point, you know, how they represent themselves. I find that so important as well. You know, I'd often tell a story about how when I was a police officer, you know, I knew that how shiny my buttons were could save my life. And that seems silly to most people, but, you know, like professional criminals know to look for those things for slouchy officers, right? And, you know, officers that aren't squared away, I call it. But, you know, in our business, I find investors, brokers, all those people are the same. You know, it's, it's the same. How are you presenting yourself? And so finding that mentor that presents themselves the way you want to is very important. What was your commitment? And you don't have to uh, give it a dollar amount or anything, but I just mean, how did you commit it? Was it financially? Was it by work? Or was it just by him partnering with you? So I tried to add value back to him however I could, whether that was, you know, finding stuff on his website to fix or like, hey, providing value, however I could, you know, wherever I thought saw an opportunity to add value back to him, I would. But he didn't require any monetary contribution or anything like that. He just was giving up his time. He saw the big picture, you know, you know, when he was in my shoes, he had a mentor to look up to. And now he's doing the same looking back as he's still climbing up, right? So looking back and helping me up as he's still looking forward. So that was huge. And, and like I said, he would come on as a member of the general partnership team and then get equity in the deal. And that's kind of how he would, he would end up getting you know, paid back for his time, if you will. So No, that's awesome. That's a great <laughs> partnership there. Tell me steps to getting that first deal or how did you find it? So we found it just by networking with, with a bunch of brokers. We were actually this one broker in particular. We had submitted LOIs with him previously. He knew the team that we had built. He actually did a couple of transactions with my mentor previously on two other deals. And so he knew that, you know, we have a strong team, we can close on an asset. And so when we submitted an LOI on this specific property, he knew that we were strong buyers and he represented us well to the, to the seller or excuse me, yeah, to the seller. 
So he knew you were a strong buyer because of really your relationship with your mentor. Is that what it was? That's correct. Mm -hmm. And then also I provided, you know, entire cover letter that had all of our bios, what we've done previously professionally and all the real estate we've owned combined. Right. And then also submitted that whole package together. So we knew he knew that not only that we close, but we're also professional in representing ourselves that way. And even a big thing about the cover letter is that we wrote that like what lender we had been in contact with, what property manager we were going to go with, you know, and that's huge too, because they could see like, oh, they've already done like the background work. They're not going to go into this LOI scrambling to get all those other, I guess, people to be a, become a part of our team. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.